Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcasting Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. It's late 1998. Ocarina of Time is released on the Nintendo 64. Hugo Chavez is elected president of Venezuela, and a tiny company called Google starts up in California. And today, it's now Volume 1 on the Now and Again cast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode, Volume 1 of Now and Again, the podcast about mixtapes and memories. Uh, with me today is my co-host uh, for most of this run. Uh, this is Nico Vasillo, uh, writer of the Demon Hotel, uh, all-around general creative son of a bitch. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, I, as soon as I started this project, um, I, I messaged Nick because there was no one I could think of that would be more fitting uh, to take this ridiculous, stupid journey with me. As soon as I saw the track list, I got a jukebox hard on, so it was perfect. Um, so, start off, uh, we're talking about Volume 1, now that's what I call music, released November of 1998. Uh, Nico, where are you in 1998? I mean, I know the answer to this, because the answer is like 6th grade English class next to me, but where are you as, as a macro idea in 1998? To blow your mind, I'm pretty sure if it's November of 98, it's got to be... Uh, Seventh grade English Seventh class. Seventh grade, you're right, you're right. Right? Um, and where I am is, uh, I was, of course, on my very personal, angry-at-the-world journey of coming out, um, which I decided to make the slowest, most drawn-out thing ever. Um, and so everything, everything on the radio was about my pain. <laughs> and if it wasn't about my pain, I couldn't do it. Well, we're only about two years away from actually literally everything, every male voice on the radio being about my pain yeah. or my nookie. Or my freak on a leash of some kind. Gays just do it first. Yeah, well, and they do it way better than any of those things that I mentioned. <laughs> but we'll get to those in future episodes for sure. Um, so what we're going to do here is we're going to just kind of go track by track. Um, talk about the song, the video, uh, memories from that time, if it brings up any. It's kind of a freeform thing. We're just going to kind of go. And I do want to preface this to the audience just by saying, like, we might do some nostalgia busting on this show. It's okay to like something. <laughs> it's also okay to not like something. It is absolutely. Like, that's cool. Yeah, it's super okay to like stuff. I think, you know, one of the things that always cracks me up is when people are like, ugh, that song. And I just want to be like, statistically, based on your age, you bought it. So just like, yeah. check yourself. Yeah, I also, I like, it's, it's cool. Like, please don't send us uh, death threats on Twitter if we say that this song that you loved when you were 12 uh, is kind of shit today. Um, like, it's cool that you like that. I like some garbage. I would actually prefer garbage. all of my death threats over Tumblr. Guilty pleasures, those are out the window. We're going to be open if we love these songs. And we're going to love some songs that maybe 12-year-old us would have been like, ugh, why do you like this song? I'm going to go play Magic the Gathering. 100%. You really can't talk about 90s pop music in the face of Top 40 in the 90s without really talking about the cheese factor. Oh, yeah. There's, it's, and it's important to remember that that's kind of fun. That's kind of cool. Yes, absolutely. I like, wouldn't know all the words if it wasn't. It took me probably until I was 19 to stop taking like the music I listened to seriously. So seriously. But once I did, man, music got so much better. It did. I am literally the biggest fan of Kesha I know. I, I, I'm obsessed with her. I, I just want her to rain her glitter on me. And that's okay, man. It's okay. I'm a cannibal. Rah. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've seen Lady Gaga live and consider it possibly the best show I've ever seen. We saw uh, Carly Rae Jepsen together like three months ago. And so, a couple years ago, we saw Nelly Furtado on the yeah. Louis tours. I so, mean, we like our pop music. Like, you can like things, unless they're Chris Brown. If you like him, you're a bad person. <laughs> anyway, uh, track one of Now, Volume 1, the first one. 
Janet Jackson's Together Again. So this one's kind of a touchy subject for me because uh, I up there with Kesha is Janet Jackson. You know, I think Together Again is actually one of the best-selling singles of all time, and it was at one point, if not still. Um, it is one of the defining songs of her career, and it has something in common with a lot of other major sellers that I would notice. Um, things like One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey. It's that idea, of, and that's another big record holder for longest number one. It's up there if it's not still. It's, it's that idea of everyone's lost someone. It's the universality of yeah. pop music best presented in a way that we can all handle. Not everybody goes through romance. Not everybody longs for someone, but we all miss somebody. And that's, I think, one of the reasons this is a great way to introduce the idea. Now is going to be universal. We all fell in love with one of these songs at one time or another. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really funny that this is just about the only uplifted song on her album about massive depression. But it, and it's about people dying to AIDS. Yes, it is about people dying to AIDS, which was a huge thing for her. Uh, so much so that when she actually recorded a song with Beanie Man many years later, who had uh, dropped the the f bomb, but you know the bad the bad one for the gay, gay people, bomb. the gay f bomb. Yeah. God, that sounds like a club. So. <laughs> Yeah, she was with Beanie Man who dropped uh, the gay F-bomb and she got some pushback because this song was such a big deal. Yeah, I think it's a great song. Everyone should check out The Velvet Rope. It's a classic. I remember liking this song at the time. Like, this was a good song uh, and it still is. I was surprised how much it held up and how Absolutely. much more I liked it now. It's so good. She's an artist who, if you listen to her discography, she's actually set the tone for pop music for many years. Um, you know, you wouldn't even think about it, but Control uh, by Janet Jackson turned 30 on my 30th birthday. By the way, Janet, I love you. We're kismet. And, um, she's definitely listening to this, so. Oh, she is, right? Because yeah. that's why she keeps moving my tour dates. She, that, she canceled her, not canceled, she keeps rescheduling the tour because now she's having a baby. Um, Ugh, so, women, am I right? Oh, man, more babies in the world that can keep making music because that's a talented family, you know what I'm saying? But, so, yeah, um, beyond the fact that this song has survived and has, has stayed so successful all this time, uh, another thing that's very interesting is there's a second version of this song, a ballad version of this song that was only released on a single, and it also has a video. It's a much more private and personal video. It's in, like, an apartment, right? Yes, I, exactly. I found that in my research, yeah. Um, really, you know... It was the era where you could not turn on MTV without seeing her beautiful red hair. It was a very definitive time. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think one thing that occasionally gets forgotten because of stuff like Nipplegate and the, bad, the yeah. bad period is that Janet Jackson was the defining black woman for pop music for many, many, many years. And when she decided to celebrate that her whole family in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And when she decided to celebrate her heritage and where she really came from in so many ways with the Velvet Rope, really embracing her hip-hop uh, her hip hop vibe and and crafting this very big R and B idea, this this concept album. I think together again, being the linchpin of that and being such a huge hit is why things like now uh, now had to exist because this album is incredibly explicit. There is a song that is just her having phone sex that ends with your coochie gonna swell off. Okay, and. This was such a huge hit. She can't have possibly sold that to kids. But, yeah. I mean, let's not forget, Janet Jackson was When I Think of You. Yeah. Before Janet, period, which was so sexually explicit, she had Let's Wait a While, which was literally Let's Wait a While Before We Go Too Far. Mm -hmm. And now she's, now she's, she's, she's finger-banging herself to ladies on, on songs. And that's, that's intense. Well, now titties at the Super Bowl. Titties at the Super Bowl. Man, um, that was such a thing. It really was. We're jumping ahead, like, a couple, like, four years if we talk about this. Nipplegate, But, but yeah. we can, that, that was... Seeing, seeing a lady's boob on TV yeah, was such a big deal. There was a Little did they know thing. the internet was a thing, and 
I had seen like more movies than all of my ancestors combined <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's worse to see than Janet Jackson's, that is for sure. Note, a number of these people on the Now records do still show up. Yeah, there's a couple of people you're not going to see, but mm -hmm. several of these artists are either still making music or contributing to um, media in some way. Lots of production in liner notes, you know, some of these names throughout these next couple of albums you'll be seeing. The next person, the next uh, song we're about to talk about is that's actually the funniest one to talk about the production. And so. that was a, a great segue. I'll just, I'll just close by saying like, yeah, this song really holds up. The beat is incredible. Really? Um, I, the worst thing I could say about it is maybe that like ballady intro goes on a little too long, but, but that's only because I want to get to that great beat. And yeah, her voice, the mixing is actually fantastic. Her voice is really out there in front, but not in that over-compressed kind of way Which that a lot of pop her. music is in general. Yeah. And that it's even with YouTube's compression, because I was listening to it through there. Uh, it's just a great song. It really, really holds up. A song that, I mean, I'm not even going to say doesn't hold up, because I didn't like this song then, I don't like it now. Uh, as Long As You Love Me by the Backstreet Boys. A huge element of their signature sound, some of their early American work. Guys like the Backstreet Boys were pretty big in Europe before they were big here. Um, really, that's where the pop boy sound kind of got solidified. And it's uh, worth noting that now, in general, is, and we'll, we'll dabble in and out of the history of it, or, I, or ideas of it, because there's not a lot out there about it. It's a British invention first that goes back to, like, the early 80s, like, two album releases, of uh, these compilations of pop songs. And so when some of these artists are very obviously like attempts to get uh, American traction for British artists. Absolutely. Uh, and a lot of it fails miserably. I'm sorry, just to interrupt, go on. Oh, no, no, no. What you're saying about Backstreet Boys and well, Sync in Europe. Uh, those guys were all written and produced by a gentleman by the name of Max Martin. Oh, oh, is he? Was he the the big fat dude? No, that's Lou Pearlman. And he actually He's in like jail molested as hell, those right? dudes. Yeah. No, no. He, like, I don't believe they found him yet. He escaped to some island. Really? At one point, he was on the run. Okay. Um, Doesn't look like a guy that could run very far. I would imagine that's why he used a boat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah he was fuck like that guy. Captain Molester. Uh, those poor, those poor guys. You know, they just wanted to bring. I mean, I'm not even kidding. They just wanted to bring joy to the world with their songs. And like, uh, nobody wrote more of their songs than Max Martin. And that guy has gone on to win like 20 Songwriter of the Year awards, starting back then and as recently as Ellie Goulding's "Love Me Like You Do." Everybody thinks Dr. Luke is a thing. Max Martin was the thing and still kind of is. And songs uh, by the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC in their early days are really where he cut his teeth. Max Martin, hopefully a better person than Dr. Luke, we, allegedly. Uh, you know, the only thing I've heard that I'm not crazy about is he defends Dr. Luke. Uh, um, but it's hard when, I would imagine they know each other. I would imagine they're sure. friends. And that's asking a friend to say something. And it's not that that's not expected, not that they shouldn't, but it's not necessarily the context he knows him in. Um, I think it's really interesting that uh, As Long As You Love Me was actually the second American single for the Backstreet Boys. They had already had Quit Playing Games With My sure, Heart, yeah. which, that makes um, sense. not just a more underwhelming perf uh, you know, a chart performance, but kind of a more underwhelming song. This was the first example of like a dynamic vocal approach for them. With Quit Gang Playing Games With My Heart, it never really goes above that na 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 kind of like, you know, cool, yeah. we're dudes, we're singing together. And that's, that's really my problem, and this, this war... The, the, this war that many many lives were lost in uh, will certainly come up throughout these first. And sink volumes. all the way. I'm, I don't even know what war oh, it is. And I I'm don't, not fucking around. And I'd, sink all the way. I will not take up arms for the Backstreet Boys. I'm even then. I was uh, very much on the in sync side of this and fight. Also, if you have to have a backup, ninety eight degrees. I'm throwing it out there. Okay, you Those can guys take can them sing. as your emergency tag team partner. Thank you. I'll take O Town in the cage. Oh, oh many <laughs> great memories of singing O Town at my twenty. 
fifth birthday. Yep. Drunk as anything. Yep. We, with uh, you. Uh, some of these, we'll, we'll talk about the karaoke implications of some of these songs for sure. Because now, now might as well be a karaoke list. Oh, that's why I said jukebox boner, man. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing about the Backstreet Boys NSYNC War, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I was trying to find a really appropriate way to segue into it. Nothing divided a classroom <laughs> like who was which pop. Now, like I know... I know today it's all about, you know, trendy is F, but, you know, reality, let's let's take the reality back to where it was. Screen printing and graphic tees were really big back then, and everybody had a screen printed shirt of Nick Carter with his, his jaw slightly open and to the side, trying to look complicated in thought and just looking vaguely confused by what a photograph is. And then you had... You know, the NSYNC shirts where all the guys are kind of like, ha, ah, yeah. Oh, there was so much wacky. Younger. There was so much like, look how wacky we are in We're these boy fun. band videos. Oh, it yeah. happens in this video, too. They're, they get they each get their moment of like a carrot top-esque prop comedy that is just fucking embarrassing. Oh, it's so bad. Um, but Backstreet, uh, Backstreet did that, I felt like, personality-wise, I think it carried over to their songs as well. Backstreet Boys songs sound a lot more clean. They sound like they're five guys trying to hit all their notes to get a perfect score. Oh, and, great. And all of the lyrics are very like, love me? Except when they become deeply self-referential in a way none of the others do. But by then I feel like it's over. But, see, so... There's a grittiness to NSYNC that carried them the whole way. Well, it carried them to, like, the 50, and then it carried Justin Timberlake. The rest. Yeah. He, well, he's the one. He, he far-scumped that to the end zone. So this is on the same Backstreet Boys album with Quit Playing Games With My sure. Heart. Backstreet's and Back. Backstreet's Back was a bonus track later released, everybody, because oh. there's another song called Backstreet's Back, hmm. or something like that, and it's the same lyrical idea. They had a lot of self-referential songs in a way the other artists didn't. Now, I want you to think about what we're trying to say. They had a song where they just celebrated their backness, <laughs> and so... I, but they I, never went anywhere. They were new. But I need you... Exactly. I need you to understand what we're saying is the guys in One Direction have a song called The Only Direction is Our Direction. We're One Direction. Go Our Direction. Oh, that no. is what the Backstreet Boys essentially did. If Justin Timberlake was like, my name's Timberlake and I wear Timberlands and my best friend is Timberland and it's that level of embarrassing and we let them get away with it because you just don't understand. The 90s were a very different time for oh, yeah. pop music. Yep. You didn't have to be gritty, yet. So does that make One Direction the gritty reboot of the Backstreet Boys? God, I can only hope. The I Nolan-esque mean, Backstreet Boys. Oh my God, it's the Nolan-esque Backstreet films. Oh, uh, man. oh dude, I'm so excited. Quit I just... playing games with my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, my question is, do you think that at the time that they put these bands together, because um, in this video, this video is very... It's very chair dance. It's very Nick Carter. It's very And the Nick. guy uh, who looked like... Brian uh, Luttrell. Okay, sure. He's the, he was uh, he was he was he was the uh, the approachably pretty one. So to to give the girl perspective and the gay perspective, because that's where you need me here. Um, one of the things that set NSYNC apart from the Backstreet Boys was NSYNC. There's only one way to put it: if the Backstreet Boys were Fonzie, NSYNC was a new and improved Chachi. Mm. He was, they were younger. They were a little bit edgier. One of them had dreadlocks, and then oh, you know when you could still do that as a pop star, as a white pop star. Yeah. So the Backstreet Boys uh, tended to trend just you know a little bit older. They had lower voices, yeah. And Kevin kind of looked like a model. AJ was wild and had to go into rehab. And 
tried to go solo first, and one of them met their wife on the set of this video, so they were they were fucking. I, yeah, they were like it was. It was very. We are sexually active adults. Whereas in sync, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake is like sixteen, and you can see him get a little itchy in the tearing up my heart video, as if a chest hair is trying to push <laughs> into his tank top. Where, by the way, he is very much suns out, guns out for a seventeen-year-old boy. Well, that's what's tearing up his heart is the razor burn on his chest. I would. De- I would deeply, deeply believe it because they tried to keep these boys boys as long oh, as yeah. they could. Uh, you actually had alternatives to these guys. You had the older, sexier ones. You had 98 Degrees, who every single one of them could bench press the rest of them. Mm-hmm. You had uh, LFO, who were a later addition to this argument. But the thing about LFO is they were very much Abercrombie pretty boys. To literally, the point where they literally referenced yeah, it in a song. They, they liked their girls and their Abercrombie and Fitch. And they would t- you know, and they, they But actually, not Chinese food. No, R.I.P. that guy. Yeah. That is Rich hell. Cronin, he was the one of the ones who said that he was super molested. By Jeez. Lou Pearlman. God. Well, what a way to segue yeah. wow. back. <laughs> yeah. This song's just not that good. It's uh, it's vanilla as hell. It's uh, I get I get it, but I don't want it. I would even be real. You know what? Once the Backstreet Boys start thinking Halloween is a good musical inspiration <laughs> with Backstreet's back, and then you know that, that actually that sound stuck with them. Whereas one of the things that did set and sync apart was for their third album, Celebrity. They worked with an artist and producer named BT. Who um, you're a big fan of that guy? Huge fucking fan. The guy invented the stutter edit. So get on board. They they worked with him and they wrote pop and they they started beatboxing and oh yeah the lyrics are dirty pop. Yeah, and if pop. you want to really hear how far and exactly sync goes, they go to a song called Gone and that is a stark acoustic gut wrenching ballad. Um, and the Backstreet Boys really never move out of this song Wait, ever yeah, again, exactly. except I mean, for the Halloween. Stuff. Even that album, like uh, it, like take that in sync the the singles from that time. You have like I Want You Back, which you know that's kind of the same. Uh, wavelength as stuff like this, but then like tearing up my heart is like we're in this relationship, but it's not perfect, and I'm sad, and that's ten times more nuanced than anything Backstreet Boys are doing. Absolutely. And then they have Bye Bye Bye, which is like fuck you, Kiss Off song. And Backstreet Boys never even rose to that level. And you know what's really funny? The Backstreet Boys had the greatest selling album in 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 a first week ever with Millennium selling a million copies in a week. Oh, what was that goddamn song? That that was it was so big. Uh, just you know, it was stay their- tuned twelve episodes from now when it comes up. It was, um, no, it's gonna kill me, man. It was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Larger than life? It's that, it's the album before that? Uh, I don't know. Oh, God fucking damn it, man. It was, um, I can see the video. It's, they're on an air. Now I can see that we're falling up where it used to be. Yeah, That's no this, matter isn't it? the distance, I want you to know the deep down inside of me. You are my fire. My one desire. My um, one desire. I want it that way! Oh. Which, you win, you win. It sold a million copies in its first week. And they were they were considered like the all time record holders, and nothing would ever beat them. Six months later, NSYNC sold a million copies in one day. Mm. And when a month later, the Backstreet Boys were on TRL, and they were like, "So let's talk to you guys." You know, there's a boy band war going on, and they were asked, "What one song is just driving you crazy, and you never want to hear again?" One of them immediately said, "Bye bye bye," with a frown on his face. <laughs> that is everything you need to know about the Backstreet Boys. Who had a person uh, bail first? Did Nick Carter go first, or did uh, Justin Timberlake go first? No one bailed first. It was actually m- none of them broke up till many years later. I believe the first member to officially leave one of the groups was Kevin. The eldest member of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, I, I think he's the one that met his wife on the set of this. Yeah, I believe if I'm not he mistaken. quit. First, and they went four people. You can't be a Backstreet Man then. Uh, but 
as long as you love me, it's pretty forgettable, right? Pretty forgettable. Yeah. Now, in a couple of uh, in a couple of episodes, once we hit like 10, 12, now really finds their format. Oh, And have a very specific way that they... Um, it, there's an order. They, yeah, they they order by genre very particularly. Uh, we don't have that right and now. And it transitions, if you, uh, getting ahead of ourselves, but it really does transition through the genres naturally. Yeah, kind of. They really front load it with like... Um, I, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when it yeah. comes up, yeah. Uh, but we have a, a rock song uh, at number three, which will not happen again. Uh, well, after, after like while. six or seven for a very long time. Uh, Fastball's The Way, uh, yeah. which I would say is probably the most famous song and catchy song about a silver alert that's yeah. ever existed. Uh, you know, The Way is uh, one of two hits I remember Fastball having. They had Out of this, My Head. And Out of My which Head. Which is a really good song, and Anna now, so we'll talk about that in the and future. And it's very The Beatles. Uh, I really feel like there was a time where... What people, what, what, what labels didn't understand what, so labels at this point are still like, let's convince parents to buy these albums for their kids by dropping in a few songs for the, for the parents as well. So yeah, when it that comes on in the car, it feels good. They stop with the need for that pretense because it became much more pop music is aimed at kids. And they really stop needing to worry about bringing in the 40 year old dad on this experience. The funny thing is it'll come full circle near the end when the only people left buying albums are, are that the, person. Exactly, and everything else is digital singles, so you don't need collections yeah. anymore. Um, but The Way is a really great example of what used to be uh, um, compilation albums. What's really interesting is American compilation albums have long existed because there used to be the, oh, but the, only the single is good attitude for yeah, a lot of artists. For sure. um, and these were a great way to get around that. These kinds of compilation albums became so common, all you had to do was subscribe to Entertainment Weekly and you would get you would get a, a double disc of dance music and it would be called like Maximum Dance Party USA Volume 3 The Train I feel like you know hashtag only 90s kids but I feel like anyone around our age and a little older will remember those commercials yeah uh, you know for Pure Jam Pure Moods Volume pure moods, 1 dude, like that's I had um, Pure Moods there's a very famous one of like a it's like a most punk and it's all like new wave songs and I believe it's it. really hilarious and dumb uh, dance ones uh, it's a beautiful uh, I, I, I only uh, feel like uh, uh, I feel like I only know that from the commercial for like um, jock jams or for whatever for the record you should know it from Ace of Bass's vastly superior second American album The Bridge oh yeah ladies Beyond and gentlemen the fact that they this were is the man <laughs> that will uh, will argue the fact that you know <laughs> Ace of Bass only has one song we found him Ace of Bass is 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 tremendously talented other than the whole they're actually Nazis thing um, which is very true they they really are Nazis down to isn't just one of them well I mean it's the songwriter oh so every song is actually a little Heil Hitler a little bit I mean my favorite song by, by them is a song called The Edge of Heaven and it's all about how I want to go to a place where people are beautiful and I can see the dreams of tomorrow and I mean and it's a really beautiful song I mean those guys could write and they could sing and they do a killer cover of uh, everyone cool in song. my heaven has blonde hair and blue eyes it's a little intense um, but yeah no for real Ace of Bass um, Ace the of, compilation the compilation, the compilation album. Album. not Ace of Bass fuck those uh, guys fuck those guys yeah Nazis that's so, when um, we rewind and we start working backwards we'll, we'll hit them eventually excellent those kinds of compilation albums were, were so huge that you would go to places like BJ's um, or Price Club which Price Club used to exist now it's called Costco yeah um, they like would a Sam's have these, Club kind of thing for those of you in the south yeah they would have these racks and racks of CDs and none of them would be anything from the last 25 years it would be incredible yeah. copies of, of Carol King's Tapestry and um, 
You know, you could find a, you could find an Elvis collection, a Don Henley album, a Don Henley album, maybe an Eagles Greatest Hits. They're carrying rumors because rumors, of course, because of course, people think that's classic rock. And um, I love Fleetwood Mac. Let me be clear. Yeah, and, no, um, definitely don't send us a fuck you for us. No, no, he, rumors is we literally one of the most one. important albums of all time. I used to get made fun of for going to high school in my rumors T-shirt. So. These these compilation albums existed for things like this. They would have like they would have one called like Hot Love, and it would yeah. just be uh, famous soundtrack ballads. And then they would have one called like you know High Energy, and it would be like Walking on Sunshine. Jack Jones is probably the most famous. That's not this. Excellent, yeah. Uh, and this this song by Fastball the Way is the whole reason that exists. We can get them to do one catchy pop song, target everybody. The album does so so quick. Throw it on a compilation, get some more money out of it. It's a great way uh, back then, uh, before the the advent of digital sales, where you could get just the song you wanted. Yeah. Um, they had you could buy singles, but that wasn't a major market. And, and then you were still saddled with like a B side. Well, and the other thing is, for for so many artists, uh, the name Tori Amos is going to come up a lot. So you're going to want to look it up. I'm going to say it slowly for all of you. Tori Amos. She's not Tori Alamaze, but I understand wanting to go there. She's not the famous Amos. She's not famous Amos Cookies. She's not Tori Spelling. Although I I also love Tori Spelling. Tori Amos is um, a pop star from the 90s, uh, sorry, a rock star from the 90s, really, uh, who it was famous for a number of firsts. She had the first digitally available single before a physical single was available. She at one point had the most number of fan sites on the internet dedicated to a single artist. And she used her singles as capital. They were where she would put songs she loved from her albums that there weren't room for because she would tax her albums out at 80 minutes. Mm. And she would throw the singles on. So her singles were frequently $8. Wow. And it, it was like getting a little EP then. Yeah, frequently it was. Several of them are EPs that are singles. It's the Hey Jupiter EP. It's the Winter EP. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, that's all I have to say about um, Fastball. A lot of things about other people. Well, here's the thing: like uh, Fastball is a band that I mean, in the video you can see like they're just not comfortable in front of the camera. They're very. They ugly. don't want to be there. <laughs> um, they're trying to do a lot of face acting that doesn't work super well. The video doesn't know what it wants to be, so it's just taking them and putting them in, like, band situations. And it sounds um, nothing like any other song on the album, so you know there's a sense of resentment for the singling. Yeah, like, this is a song that these guys are going to be playing at state fairs for forever. Uh, but here's the thing. I think it's a pretty good song. It, I thought it was yeah. a pretty good song then. I think it's a pretty good song now. I like that surf rock sound. I do, It was too. out of place at the time. Like, it's not really used now. No, um, it makes you think of uh, Rooney, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I like everything about it. I like the lyrics. It's a good song. Like, um, it also, so, I love that run musically. I love that run up to the chorus. That I was about to say, actually, yeah, it's so it good. has an unbelievable great sense of melody mm -hmm. as a song. You know, for a guy who didn't do too much with the rest of his career, he has a phenomenal uh, vocal performance in this and Out of My Mind. That's a really good song. Yeah, I just don't think, you know, the world needed more fastball, sadly. I think I, uh, we loved these two songs and couldn't figure out what to do with them. Yeah, uh, this is one of an example, and I think this happened a lot at the time, and uh, is another good reason why now existed, is definitely from, you know, like, fifth grade to... I, I figured it out. I'm, like, three months away from discovering music for myself. Well, not myself, but, like, music that's not on the radio. Music that's not you and me in gym class talking about how we really liked The Globe Sessions by Sheryl Crow because our parents both played it. Well, yeah, exactly. So, like, However, Sheryl Crow's The Globe Sessions, one more time, let's give it up oh. for the difficult kind, one of the greatest vocal performances by anyone ever. I think the next Now album has my favorite mistake on it, oh. and I'm going to talk about how that's better than any Sheryl Crow's album. Oh, no, no, no. It, that comes in a good fourth place. We'll, well talk about how that singles. comes in fourth place. Um, yeah, I guess I am pulling from album stuff. <laughs> so, wait, uh, what the hell was I just saying? I oh, yeah, I, uh, so my my music knowledge is still either my parents' stuff or really now just radio stuff that because the radio isn't just pop. You're getting the no doubts and you're getting, I mean, we're moving away from grunge 
definitely by now, but you're still getting your fastballs and the next song, which we'll talk about. Um, but I was gifted this album out of just the fact that I really liked The Way. And I mean, maybe if I revisited it now, I would like it. I don't know. But like, I only listened to those two songs. You know, um, I had actually my, my Nana, hey, what's up in heaven, Nana? She passed away and no one knew what to do with her TV. So they gave it to me because that's what you do. You give a 13 year old boy cable in his bedroom. So I had discovered MTV for myself by this point, and I was really getting into my own music. And once, one thing that was really cool is my mom and dad were super duper, they're enablers. And so they would literally be like, you want to collect rare singles? That's what we're doing! And like they would go nuts, making sure I was really happy because I was a really, like I said, I was all about my pain, and my parents just wanted to see me happy. Um, so I had already discovered my own music. I just uh, want to chime in with one thing fastball fans out there because theoretically like there's seven of you and you're going to hear this every song is someone's favorite song literally I know somebody whose favorite song of all time is Gloria oh oh I, I had to dig for that one yeah and when every time I, I literally ask this person every time because it, it, it I, I have to it no one's shitting on fastball fastball is, is these two songs are great we just don't think they had more songs <laughs> like these next guys which is had. the exact opposite of the next band who uh, Harvey Danger Flagpole Sitta they're a band that I feel like if I went back and listened to that album, I feel like I would love that album. Only knowing this song, they seem like a band that's probably pretty fucking good. Um, but I just, I don't want to. Yeah, you know, I, I think this song is for our generation, most known for its inclusion in Disturbing, Disturbing Behavior. Disturbing Behavior is exactly what I had written down. Which was a Katie Holmes movie. So you guys, before Katie Holmes was, God, how do I think about it? Before, okay. So there's a very famous child named Surrey Cruz, and I'm <laughs> sure they have a Twitter. But that's all people really, I think, remember this song for, and for the fact that it had a questionable bleep. Uh, toward the end of the second verse, he says, now I'm an amputee, goddamn Yes. They didn't censor his mouth in the video. So it's, damn you. Yeah. And yeah, okay. so it's kind of like, you know, there's this moment where you're like, what is he saying? Censoring in the 90s on the radio was very lazy. It really be like, was. Shh, shh, Oh like, no, for real! Oh shit! What, what what was that vowel that they did? He say shut you shut up before shit. right before um, everybody uh, did thought he say shot Taylor Swift was feminism. There was uh, an artist by the name of Alanis Morissette who also toured with Tori Amos. Do you see how that name is going to come up? So Alanis uh, for the bingo card or the drinking game that will most certainly come from this show. That really will. So ding. Uh, so Alanis Morissette uh, dated. So, okay, for those of you who enjoy Fuller House, before Fuller House, there was Full House. <laughs> and Full House had a, had a guy on it named Uncle Jesse. And no, Uncle Joey. Uncle Joey, that's what I meant. God damn Senior it. Witcher. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. John Stamos, Cut I would never forget out. who you are. I would never forget. Dave Coulier, I do forget who you are. So, uh, Dave Coulier evidently broke Alanis Morissette's heart, and she wrote a song called You Wanna Know. There's a lyric where she says, uh, and are you thinking of me when you fuck her? And the bleep is the worst. It's, and oh, are see? you thinking of me when you fuck her? <laughs> like, the only thing they take out is Didn't they the censor you. go down on you in a theater, too? It would be like, would you no, go in the No, because the way theater? she says it so weirdly, only certain stations censored it. And uh. MTV didn't censor the video. Because would she go down on you and uh, up the Self-censoring via really bad uh, aspiration. After really, really bad delivery. Yeah, you know. Uh, this song had that. It had that inclusion in the Katie Holmes movie. Yeah, God, we, we tangent that. I think uh, now it's relevant. Uh, it's the title music for Peep Show, oh. uh, which is a fucking amazing show. Um, so I hear that little riff at the end of the song every time I watch an episode of Peep Show. Real quick, thank you. I, just, I have to get it in there. Thank you for making me watch Broad City again, dude. That is oh. the literal funny. That and BoJack comes back on July twenty second. Yeah. Now. So literally, I, that is like the funniest fucking thing I've ever. So even the music is still valid to today. 
Yeah. The songs on here, even if you couldn't name them out of a million songs on the radio, there's still an example of where Flagpole Sitta has a statement to be made today oh, in a TV show. So It's what taught know, me what a zine was. Even though these songs weren't necessarily famous at the time, they, I mean, aren't, were famous at the time and aren't famous anymore, they have this lasting effect somehow. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, musically, it's great. It's got a fun bass line, those galloping drums. Yeah, it's a pretty killer song. The, the build-up to that, the, the drum roll and the paranoia, paranoia part is great. The bridge is killer. It's one of my favorite karaoke jams, personally. And yeah, the guy, it's, great. it's another one where the guy sings the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. Maybe not a great vocalist, but what a killer performance. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a song that holds up today. Yeah, the next song. Um, okay, can I, can I introduce the next song? Oh, crazy, man. This was my first concert. Wow. Uh, it's actually also, funny enough, my first anxiety attack. I, I, my parents... <laughs> no, sorry to laugh. Oh, no, it's the funniest thing. My parents got me tickets. I'm going to cry talking about it. My parents, <laughs> my parents were such good people, and they got me tickets to see the Spice Girls World Tour, and my mother kept trying to pick me up off the ground so I could see the stage, but I literally couldn't breathe, so she, my, she and my dad each had to hold me up in part because... I was, I was so close to Emma Button. I'm like still freaking out. I was amazing. So um, this next song is "Say You'll Be There" by the Spice Girls, and um, uh, they've never received a better intro for a song. Uh, they when are, they played the Olympics and came out in like little like, <laughs> Volkswagen Beetles or like Mini Coopers or whatever, they did not get this kind of applause. Yeah, no, this is better. Um, you know, often imitated, never replicated, frequently laughed at, but always loved. The Spice Girls are really responsible for so much of our, our 90s conversational slang. The idea so of the late 90s is pretty much entirely <laughs> attributed to boy bands and the Spice Girls. Truly. Um, you know, and again, this wasn't their first single. You're going to notice a lot of these artists... It this was, came out in 96. Yeah. What's really interesting is a lot of these songs, though, were so... Um, well, hey, they, they wrote this album to 99. Let's not oh, I believe that. that. Well, I think it took a little bit of time just for it to pick up in America. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is, speaking about singles and B-sides, they had some really friggin' weird singles. Uh, B-sides, I mean. They had um, a song called uh, Bumper to Bumper, in which, at one point, Scary Spice just goes, Bumper to Bumper, for no reason. Um, they have okay. another song <laughs> called... God, I think it's Spice Invaders. And at one point, they say oh the ingredients Oh, my God. To, Fuck that pun. And it's like... No, for real. It's like... They whistle part of it. It's just like, and then they list things about each one of them and their personality. It's, these are a few of my favorite things via the Spice Girls. Kind of. I mean, at one point they go, or that Backstreet Boys song we were talking about. They say like it's like something like you know we've got Ginger, Posh, and Emma something, and like you know then they at one point Scary Spice because she really was kind of intense just screams mix together in a cooking pot and you've got the Spice Girls Holy like shit. they had some weird things to them but you know truth end of the day Wannabe is one of the most recognizable songs in the history of pop music oh yeah Say You'll Be There is one of the most classic longing for you anthems ever Ugh, see, I think this is going to be our first major diversion oh man I, I don't like this song at all I think this song is one of those examples I'm more of a two becomes one kind of guy two become one you know and the radio edit of that censoring out the explicit sexual lyrics was one of the first times I found out that any deal that we endeavor boys and girls feel good together was replaced go by go good together go good to- yes no, no, it's feel good together 
the radio replaces it with once again if we endeavor love will bring us back together oh wow okay so yeah that's it was much my more memory's all fucked up about this song um, i have to go back and that's not gonna be on this unfortunately, unfortunately. but that's um so say so you'll be there that's also, a good song this so, one yeah so you'll be there to want to be introduced as the Spice Girls in a really real way where they, they use nonsense language and they rap a little bit and they talk about who they are. Um, but this is the there song. There is a rap breakdown in this that is just garbage. But the thing about this song is the video really introduced who they were. You you When you think about the Spice Girls, you think about the yeah. video of them in the desert dancing. Killing fish bowls. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think Say You'll Be There is one of the most classic uh, pop songs from the 90s. Because the thing that all of these songs have in common so far, to be real with you, is everybody knows how to do the dream about us together. And, you know, the um, as long as you the way like all of them, you play through them in your head. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes when it comes on the radio. Yeah, I want you. Even if you're making fun of it, you join in. It's okay. So Chris doesn't know love, but I mean, it's it's a celebration just, of this one. This one is joy. not the Spice Girls one that stuck with me. It would be Wanna Be and Two Become One. This one I didn't even remember until I I turned it on again. Oh man! And when I did, it came right back. Uh, see, but whereas I I argue kind of for the pot. I argue for all their albums. To be honest, I I even like Forever, uh, the album without. Did you see Spice World? In theaters? In theaters! Like, I actually did too for some reason. Because I think it's it was what one of those did. like grandma took me to the movies on a rainy day and the only option was that. Hey, I was telling my husband the other day, uh, my husband who colors our comic Kid Riot, I saw every bad damn movie you could think of and I frequently went to movies by myself because no one else in my family wanted to see what I wanted to see. What was the name of that Robert De Niro horror movie we saw together and almost walked out of? It wasn't Robert De Niro, it was uh, John Cusack and it was Identity. Oh, God. That's still one of my least favorite movies of all time. Agreed. Uh, I saw Eddie by Eddie uh, with Whoopi Goldberg. Is that where she becomes the, the owner of the Knicks? The the coach of the Knicks. Okay. And the owner is like, I only put you up here because you're a woman and you're a black woman and it makes me money. And she says, and I remember, I will never forget it. I'm like, my jaw drops. She just goes, fuck you and that damn horse you ride on. Because the guy was an eccentric southern millionaire who rode horses. And I just remember thinking... I hope that's like a real phrase and that somebody really had the opportunity to use it. Otherwise, that's not a great line. <laughs> so I go to ask my mom about it. And I'm like, hey, mom, there's this phrase, but I'm not allowed to use one of the words. Can you explain to me what it is? And she's like, OK, just use the word. And I was like, fuck you and that horse you rode in on as my dad coming into the room. <laughs> And he's like, do not speak to your mother that way. This is why you can't go to movies on your own. And like all this kind of shit. Um, but no, yeah, I definitely saw Spice Girl, uh, Spice World. If I saw, if I, if I saw Eddie, I saw Spice World. My parents actually really fostered the idea of like what a curse word is and how to use it to the point where now that I'm an adult, like it's totally fine. I, I called someone a cunt in front of my mother yesterday and she just laughed. I got to say, my mom gave me my love of music. When I say that my parents, you know, really, really wanted to see me be happy and they really helped you know my music collection and stuff they really were very supportive i'm i'm, I'm super blessed you know most mm -hmm. most gay kids don't have parents like mine my dad you know when i came out to my dad his only comment was i knew you always loved nathan lane i'm not even kidding <laughs> my dad was the that my dad was the best sport about that ever and my mom was mom you know was just happy i was a democrat so yeah, having parents that let you do the music you wanted to do and encouraged it was it, it's important I mean, we're huge music fans. We've we've made music for a lot of our lives. Yeah. Um, sometimes together. Sometimes together. Um, like my father would take me to to concerts, yeah. and to the point where he would like go and try to like get into the music. To the point where I don't think I have Blink One Eighty Two on my computer anymore, but somewhere on his like old ass iPod, like every now and then, what's my age again will pop up. That's hot. Yeah. He was just you know, 
he and I don't agree on everything, but he was he let me grow up, which was pretty cool. Parents need to do that kind of thing. You know, you, my parents did not want to go see the Spice Girls. Let me let me start that story. I'd imagine. You know, my, my mom and dad. Oh, by the way, my sister, she's she's a year and a half older than me, and I don't know that we could be more different. So I'm literally inconsolable at the Spice Girls concert, and my sister Julia, uh, Jules, is literally begging my parents if we can leave because <laughs> she's so bored. But if you're that close to, to Baby Spice, how could you be bored? Oh, we were like 50 rows back. I just couldn't believe I was that close to Baby Spice. I guess we all were shitty teenagers at one point, which would put her about that age, right? I, I gotta be real, she still wouldn't like a Spice Girls concert now. But to be bored in the front row of a Spice... In the front row 50 of any rows concert, back. Not front row. But you said you were... Wait, when you said you were that close, did you mean like a football field away? Yes, oh, basically. Jesus. Okay, well then fuck your story. <laughs> Like I thought you meant like you were at her ankle. Oh gosh, no! I was. Oh I my was, god! I had an anxiety attack because I was r- roughly uh, a million yards away from a British <laughs> woman, and that was all I ever wanted. So, <laughs> from a British woman. <laughs> so that's you know. There's a little segment I like to introduce to the show called "Citation Needed," where uh, we find something on Wikipedia that's just. This is this is from the Wikipedia article for Say You'll Be There, which is extensive. Ah, uh, I would imagine. Uh, so, for Say You'll Be There, the lyrics, which describe the things the group have been through together and how they always have been there for each other. The music video was inspired by films like Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and Pulp Fiction and features the group as a band of female techno warriors who use martial arts and high-tech ninja-influenced weapons to capture a hapless male. It includes symbols of male disempowerment and serves as an example of solidarity in the group's bonding. Okay, so citation fucking needed on these points, right? First off, where in the lyrics is anything about them bonding? I was about to say, last time we had this conversation, I decided we should be friends. How much was Sporty Spice being like, hey... Baby Spice. Lesbians? Like, how much was that happening that this is about... I mean, because now let me jump in with a reality about about the Spice Girls. Wait, side note. Do you think Sporty and Scary were mad about that? What do you mean? Well, Sporty in this video gets to be there and throw kicks at the camera. Okay. And Scary gets to rap. And the rest of it is all everyone else. Uh, That's a really good point. Um, You know, that's one of the things about... Plus, being Sporty is kind of like... There's subtext to that. That's so, not that sub. Here's the thing. They didn't come up with those names. They were bestowed they upon did. them by a newspaper, which is why originally she was Sexy Spice, and then they later changed her name to Ginger Spice so it would oh, play okay. better with children. Um, you know, the Spice Girls... I thought you meant Sporty Spice was Sexy Spice. No, no. I'm like, wow, that is, that is a, a, that is a departure. That is off the cliff. Um, one of the... <laughs> hey, she had a phenomenal solo career. I Turned to You was terrific. Uh, she had some really good music there for a while. I mean, I'm assuming you're implying either from like a critical standpoint or from like the UK hey, standpoint. No, no, I turned none to you was of a huge had... hit in America. Really? Huge hit in America. That was, that was... I turned to you. Wait, that was Sporty That's Spice? Sporty fucking Spice. That's Mel C, man. Wow, okay. Yeah. And, Shit, um, all right. Jerry actually had a, a successful had a solo album. Well, I don't um, remember them. It's called, the, the album's called Schizophonic. A couple of the pieces in there were pretty uh, strong. Posh had the most successful post-career. Well, Posh made the best decision ever, yeah. and she married the concept of soccer. So, <laughs> um, you know, the thing about the Spice Girls is they didn't get into any of the It's all about being ladies until the second album. Wannabe. Which was if the first, well, by that time, was the first album in America, right? No. Like, really? 
want to be. Say you'll be there um, to become one. But by the time that caught, weren't they close to the second album in the UK? True, but the second album was the first, and that came you know three years later to America as well. It oh, was, okay. It was the first time that all of a sudden the lyrics were all about because remember we had we talked girl about girl power. Like, yeah, the single B sides had girl power. But now all of a sudden it was every track on the album. They had hits with romantic songs and, and sexual songs. You want to be my lover. They had the occasional song. Oh wow! How did I forget about that song? Yeah, that had to be one of the biggest ones. They had a song about. They had a song where they rapped, "If you can't dance, that means you can't do nothing for me, baby." Implying if you don't have the sexual prowess on the dance floor, you didn't, can't have it in the bedroom. Didn't they each get a little rap thing about how to please them best in "If you want to be my lover"? You know, someone just rapped about yeah. all of them. You, Probably you scary me, because that's it. how we're doing and this. Oh, okay. Ginger rapped a lot too. She was uh, the backup rapper, and she rapped in Spanish. They only had one song really on their first album that had nothing to do with fucking, and it was about their moms. Well, that's good. And it's a really great song called Mama. And like, uh, I remember my mom was like, "Stop playing this!" One time, and I was like, "Is it that bad?" And she was like, "No, my mom just died." Oh, so like, um, what's up with the harmonica solo in this song? That's out of place and pretty I don't bad. Think it's out of place at all. It creates a sense of world music. This was aimed at Europe. It, it wanted to appeal to many different styles, and so that was their way of appealing to an American audience. And then, uh, well, all right, sure. You know. Um, <laughs> and then they put Meatloaf in their movie. And Alan Cumming as the villain, and well, he's British at least. Yeah, uh, Meatloaf is as American as Meatloaf. I have to <laughs> Meatloaf a day. Um, I have to be honest. My husband. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Uh, I just think you know. I think this is a great song. I think the Spice Girls did a great job with it. I think it's a terrific recording for them. I mean, true, they are the only five girl boy band in girl boy band. The only five girl five person girl group in the entire world who needed backup singers, but. Um, I don't think the video was inspired. I'll give them Faster Pussy Got Kill, oh. kill but not Pulp Fiction. I think Pulp Fiction in the Mad most Max, surface right? way. Like Mad Max, for Mad sure. Mad Max, obviously. But, I mean, we're talking about people who think the lyrics are about sisterhood and togetherness? Well, all right, so if you can read the second part. Oh, of course. This, you jump down to the writing and recording section. And this is not taken out of context. This is just... Writing and recording, and then this. Without access to Herbert's address book, the group knew nothing of Kennedy's whereabouts other than that he lived in Sheffield. Melanie Brown and Jerry Hollowell drove to Sheffield the day after the departure from Heart Management and looked up <laughs> and looked for the first phone book they came across. Elliot was the third Kennedy that they called. That evening they went to his house and persuade him to work with them. The rest of the group traveled to Sheffield the next day. That's the start of writing and recording because of the entire thing, even though it's broken down is told in a narrative format. <laughs> this Amazing. is someone who 100% has written fan fiction about the Spice Girls. Absolutely. I but mean, like not like sexy fan fiction. No. Like stuff about like... how they had to fight for the record They're just hanging label. out in traffic or yeah. something. And like, Ginger, what are we going to do for lunch today? You know, and I imagine it's a lot of N-Media Res storytelling, so it just kind of... Ginger looks sad in her chair. Sporty puts down her tennis racket. Right, and because of... This ginger was full. You see, sad, and you know, ginger is like, "Hey, broke up with me," and like, oh, it's all it's all written with like the uh, the accent. I, I would lots of it. apostrophes and I, dropped consonants. Trying to figure out where you know the hell Daphne from Fraser is from, <laughs> and um, I am so listen, British population. I am so grateful for all of your contributions to television. Thank you for Doctor Who. I do not mean to make fun of your accents. Please, you guys do a really great job making fun of American accents. Thank you so much for doing it first. Um, no, yeah, this is a... I'm not even sure what some of this stuff means. No, um, but that's because the, the section before that, which is, I think, that starts the story of this Herbert. And then, like, it just continues through this, like, 
It's just a narrative. It's on a powerful Wikipedia. story. It's the real Spice World it's sequel. It's amazing. The um, Spice Universe. God, that's the sequel I want. Spice Galaxy. Spice Eternia. Spice Space. Spice Space. <laughs> the MySpace, where you have to have a blank spice. Between the Mad Maxness and the girl power stuff, do you think Fury Road stole from this music video? You know what? I would. I would rather even say not that stole from this music video because I. I think it's a remake. But let's think about it. The Spice Girls created an era of girl power, and they justified the ability of women being able to be multifaceted things. Baby was, you know, baby. She was cute. She was adorable. She wore the little dresses. Eh. But she was also part of a multi-billion dollar empire. And Sporty Spice literally said, hey, girls, you can be into sports and also be kind of feminine because, look, I also wear the dresses during the dress numbers. Mel B gave a voice to young black women who wanted to be part of pop music that didn't feel they fit in with all of the other very pressed, very proper black women who had to be that way to be competitive in the music world. Each one of these women gave a little something unique to the overall cultural atmosphere at the time. I don't know that I would necessarily say they stole directly from this for Fury Road, but I would like to say that I think the Spice Girls were a huge part of creating a world in which Tumblr culture could fight for things like the validity of Fury Road. I mean, I was joking, but like you make a good point that Furiosa might not exist without the Spice Girls. I really think it is a statement on just how... We're going to get to... Uh, failed attempts to recreate this in just a moment, but um, it is really important to understand that while we can make fun of the Spice Girls, the fact that Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore, you know, we're kind of making a joke, but Britney Spears was kind of dance spice, and Christina Aguilera was sort of belter spice. Mm. uh, Jessica Simpson was good Christian spice. Mandy Moore was young spice. They really just recreated the formula and spread it out across multiple women. But there is nothing about the the identity of pop of women in pop culture today that we don't owe a little bit to the the brave and bold end of 90s feminism that the, the Spice Girls tried to pioneer in the face of a male-dominated music world. So yeah, Spice Girls, uh, worth revisiting. I wouldn't say this song, Nick would, but go back, you know, maybe there's there's some good pop in the Spice Girls there's for sure. Excellent. They'll pop come in up Spice again Girls. too. Um, throughout this. Uh, next one, Casey and JoJo, All My Life. Shout out to my buddy Joe. Uh, this is our opening karaoke jam. Uh, only when we have the private room karaoke because, ugh. Hey, like Mariah Carey said, I like it when I'm laying in my bed bumping Joe to see. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of the insanely in- awful reference I just made. Um, so before they were uh, Casey and JoJo, they were part of a group called Jodeci, mm-hmm. who was responsible for every bump and grind song that you couldn't attribute to R. Kelly. R. Kelly, yeah. And uh, they, were, they were just like, uh, In Living Color did a terrific send-up, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure. So All My Life by Casey and Jojo was a massive departure for, well, massive departure for what culture understood them to be. This song starts up, and it is so over-emotional. This song is it pure is. It's, saccharine. It's yeah, yeah, saccharine is a good good phrase for it. When um, you're all that I ever know, when you smile, all things glow. You lots picked of me thanks, up when I was down. Thank God. Like, thank heaven I found you. Thank lot, A lot of Jesus-y shit in this song. And here's the thing. I understand that this is a huge element of, of R&B gospel crossover from, mm-hmm. from this era. And I, I think um, it's not that this isn't still a good song. I just don't think it's necessarily aged as well as as others on this collection. Have. Yeah, like when we do when we do uh O Town karaoke, we do it because like that's kind of a good song. Yeah. When we do Casey and Jojo all my life, we're doing it because it's ironic and we're white. And like like it's it's not as it doesn't hold up in the as a a great pop song, I think because the formula's been was perfected before them and 
and has been e- done even better after them. Like, they're a footnote. They're not on the main road with this kind of music. And I even think in a lot of ways, it's not a great track. There's bad mixing in places and clear reuses of choruses from Yeah, earlier. that's true. It, it feels very... I feel like if this was done now, it could be done with some phenomenal, uh, some phenomenal polish. But funny enough to talk about O Town, um, all my life, kind of did help create a market where all or nothing could exist. So it's it's really funny that we're even kind yeah. of almost shooting on this song in the name of O Town. But it, it's it's that it's, it's direct. I think the song is like directly responsible for like a God must have spent some more time on you by oh, a million percent. My least favorite in sync song by a country mile. Oh, it, truly, I think I think this song is also. I'll never forget that um, this song. So okay, funny story. I tried out for a talent show one year at my high school and I didn't get in, and I was super bitter because I did all of the right things. I I, I followed all the rules, and one of the rules was you were not allowed to sing along to an existing song without the karaoke. And this kid got in and did that, and I got so mad. Um, so that's always my association for this song. Losing a talent show—that's where I was when this song came out. Uh, that's like knowing you at that time and knowing that there were definitely talent shows in like the elementary school that we went to, like that blows my mind Actually, because I have to clarify it was high school, it was ninth grade. I have to clarify. And you, wait, you lost to someone doing Casey and JoJo in, in ninth, ninth grade? grade. Three, two ish, three years after this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's cuckoo bananas. This song actually is a huge song in the R&B community, what was for a very long time. I mean, time. I, I disagree with you. I think this is a good, not great song. This is a 6.5. That was probably an 8 at the time. I, you know, I think, I think the guys from Casey and JoJo are responsible for a lot of songs I unfortunately can't think of the name of. It's one of those cases where if I heard it, I'd be like, ah, that song! Like, it took me ten and a half minutes to remember um, the Backstreet Boys song. Which I have already forgotten. I want it that way. I want it that way. I actually forgotten too. I was almost like, dude, as long as you love me, damn it! Um, you know, I think this song is, uh, it's responsible for Justin Bieber's baby. I think... We're talking about that level of eh, bringing R&B and saccharin together in a way that I, R&B had, had long been a really genuine, beautiful art form that had, had, had really not taken, had not taken hold in, in mainstream music so much as pieces were plucked from it. This is one of the first songs I can think of where I said it's more like R&B took from another genre. Okay. They sort of took the, the, the sappy, saccharin kind of... The greatest love of all. Well, the video plays into that too. The video, there's a, a scene where, like, um, you know, even though it's clearly a song about, like, you are the love of my life, I'm so happy I found you, please dance to this song at your wedding. Yes. Um, there's there's shots of, like, um, I heard it at feeding, the last few weddings I've been to. Of course. There's shots of someone feeding, like, homeless people. Um, there's one thing that, uh. I mean, I'm sure at the time it just was also to be like, let's bring in friendship. And it's like two girls laying on a bed together laughing, which, uh, Hey, maybe they were being maybe, from like, people. I would like to believe that. Hey, you know, and if... But I don't think gay people were allowed to exist in public until, like, 2001. We were allowed to be the punchline we of jokes and limericks if our name rhymed with Rick. Right. After, uh, we're still in a... We're not in a post-Will and Grace world yet. So you guys have to be funny. Well, right, because we're, defi- we're definitely still in that, you know, we're definitely still in that gays have to be a punchline Yeah, your stereotypes at this um, point. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, the famous gays that we could go with. Paul Lind, if you happen to be 60 and listening to this. My parents raised me on game shows. I don't, I don't, I don't have any regrets. Um, you know, George Michael, who wasn't gay until he wasn't George Michael Freddy. anymore. Freddie Mercury, who was the freak. You know what I mean? When you're talking about the 80s, a good friend of mine, uh, a really good friend of mine. George, uh, not George Michael, um... 
Boy George? Boy George, yeah. Uh, a really good friend of mine who's a little bit older than me uh, one time said to me that you kind of had to be part of one of four camps growing up in the 80s. You could be Madonna, you could be Michael Jackson, you could be Prince, or you could be Bruce Springsteen. And hmm. your choices were like down-home rock guy, your choices were the diva, the pop king, or the prince. I feel like it's missing like a uh, sort of a, like a, a Robert Smith Morrissey new wavy kind of thing. Absolutely, but those people were always the fringe, weren't well, they? Well, sure, absolutely. Okay, well, yes. Right, if you're talking about, about like a mainstream stars. thing, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I thought you were talking about like the type of person you had to be. Oh no, I'm music so sorry. Wise and no, that. okay. I apologize. And, you know, when he shared that, well, please, I had no idea either. When he shared that with me, I was like, I, I can't imagine having not grown up getting to be like, no, I'm not into boy bands. I'm still into Nirvana, and because my older brother gave me a Nirvana CD, so I can't like the boy bands because I know what real music is. My pain, my pain, Pearl Jam, Jeremy, la 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 la, Ten Vitology, and like, that's the kind of, of thing that you kind of didn't have um, a zillion trillion d years ago. So I think I don't remember where we started this point. Well, we started on Never Ever. We had already moved on. No, no, we haven't even moved on to Never Ever. No, All my life. If we were on Never Ever, I would be unleashing a bucket load. <laughs> well, we can, we can, that's, that's a accidental transition. Uh, All my life, you know, it's, it's, it's a song that exists. It's, it's, it's a almost a self-parody at this point. I, it's yeah, a song that, this if it point, doesn't come up in like a, if it hasn't come up as like a love moment in a Will Ferrell movie at this point, I'd be stunned. Because you know what? It, it really was, uh, I remember my sister loving it and getting it as soon as it came out, actually. Like, clearly, I remember her needing this CD. I think it was called like Love Always or something. Like, it was really... It was like a romantic album kind of thing. Sure. And I remember this being a huge hit. Um, but to move on to All Saints. All Saints Never Ever. When I was looking at the list, I was like, I've definitely never heard this song. And the moment that the chorus kicked in, I was like, oh, I know this song. You know this song. Um, so to, to kind of touch on a really interesting point that we made, um, this was not the first single off. Of, Together Again was not the first single off of The Velvet Rope. Uh, it was a song called Till It's Gone, which featured a sample of Joni Mitchell and featured Q-Tip on my oh, favorite rap by him ever. It's one of the, it's one of, it is truly throwback R&B at its finest. Truly just breathtaking work. But again, Together Again was the second single. Um, as Long As You Love Me was the second single. Say You'll Be There was the second single. Well, this song, again, is clearly a, more so than the Spice Girls, a an attempt to... Uh, and I, I know that this song... This song... I knew I know the song, so I, it, I, it got play hit. on yeah. Z100 in, in 1998, 1997. But it was clearly... Um, a, a way for a UK to push its stuff on America, well, and, and now it used now as a springboard for that. To make a great point about how you pointed out that uh, "Say You'll Be There" was already kind of old by this point, mm -hmm. All Saints were the replacement Spice Girls because the Spice Girls had already become too much Spice Women. So huh. All Saints. When did when did Ginger leave? Do you know? It was when I saw them, so it was sixth grade. So she's gone by this point. She'd have to be. That's really maybe seventh grade. Oh my god, if I had my first anxiety attack because of the Spice Girls in 7th grade, I want to fling myself off a bridge. Um, but no, uh, so their first single was... Um, uh, who gives a shit? I know where it's, it's at. Never no, it was a huge hit. I know where it's at. It was huge, man. It was the bomb shit, okay? And, um, this well, this song is a minute too long because it starts with <gasps> literally a minute of spoken word. It is nowhere near a minute too long. A minute I wish there word. were three minutes of spoken word afterward. Get the fuck out of my face with you that. You can tell me to my face. So one of the things I love the most about All Saints and I, I think, you know, one. okay, so with, what they discovered with the Spice Girls was the Spice Girls had, had limited limited target audience. They seemed to get everyone in that target audience. Don't get me wrong. They said, we want young girls. We got all the young girls. I mean, it was... 
Bieber before Bieber. But at the same time, it, yeah, it felt hard to take the Spice Girls seriously. Now, that's the thing about All Saints. They were specifically an R&B bend. They were a little bit sexier. Um, they had a much more legitimate rapper. I unfortunately don't know the, the women from All Saints' names. One of um, them is a uh, is still a producer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I unfortunately don't know the, the names of the women in All Saints, uh, but they legitimately really talented vocalists, pretty, pretty excellent rapping. Um, and the thing that stands out the most for me is they were very desperate to make, not they, not the women in themselves, the label was desperate to make sure that came across to the point where they have a pretty decent R&B interpretation of Under the Bridge. Wow, ew, ew, I, I hate the idea of that. I, you know what? You need to not compare it to the original and you need to think of it in a vacuum. They did a really great first album. It was actually creme de la creme for what they were doing. If you liked another artist who was kind of doing the same stuff as All Saints um, and the Spice Girls, All Saints did it really well. Well, I mean, like I, I did like this song. And from someone who did not think about the song since this, probably since now one, it's a good song. Um, it's I, I appreciate like you know their music video. They don't need the choreography. They don't need they're they're, they're writing on their their voices, which is good. I think the lyrics are kind of shit. You got me feeling real bad is not a great lyric. Oh no, um, absolutely. Um, there's one. It's like um, the alphabet runs right from A to Z. It's not a metaphor or a simile. It's just a line. It is. I mean, but then they, the next chorus they do right from A to Z. So they're going with the intercontinental. Well, because like, they're British ladies. Yeah. Um, um, like it's just it. It's it's a better idea than it is a song to me. Okay. Like it, it's if you had that melody and that music and then just replaced it with something else, I think I'd like it more. It's you know, it's I totally get that. I maybe think Never Ever I never quite understood why Never Ever was their big hit. I thought kind of every other song on the album was stronger. But I do I could see that. I do defend All Saints. I, I think uh, ladies, I wish you were still making music actively together. Sorry you're not, sorry I couldn't buy your albums alone. Um, well, our next one, uh, Tonics, If You Could Only See. If uh, you it, can see. Yeah, it is uh, Man Pain Central. It took me about 45 seconds to realize that this song was not I Am Everything You Want, I'm Everything You Need. So No, that's Vertical Horizon. Well, and uh, stay tuned for that song. Right, now they, they kind of followed Tonic. Um, so this song was one of those 90s alternative songs that, uh, so there was a period of time, guys, before... Um, before everything was YouTube and YouTube was the radio and, you know, mm. Pandora took its cues from Twitter. Every band didn't end in vivo for at some point. So if you could only see was uh, kind of like dad cred um, on this album. It's a little bit more of that fastball the way. These yeah. weren't pretty boys. They weren't a boy band. This, this was the end music. of days for this kind of music on the radio. There was still this, this lingering kind of grunge. Uh, it's like, well, grunge did a lot for the radio. Let's let's let them keep doing it. And this is kind of the end of days for that before new metal and just boy bands is going to take over the radio. And what's really interesting is this is kind of a homogenization of two different ideas that had been running through the early 90s, well, mid-90s, really. You Sort of that post-death of grunge. Pearl it's still Jam got that hunger-dunger underbite Pearl Jam voice doing, that, um, like he's singing uh, with an underbite. Can't find a better man. It's like that Duncan Sheik's barely breathing because it's a little bit more God, sensitive. I would love more... Duncan Sheik's barely breathing and way less uh, even flows. I know, like, I know I'm in the minority on that one. I'm no, I'm going to defend Duncan Sheik's uh, body of work. I'll admit uh, his Broadway work has uh, maybe not always been my favorite. But Spring Awakening, right? Right. Not a big fan of Spring Awakening, but American Psycho is pretty cool. Oh, is, um, does he have a part in that? He wrote it. 
Oh shit! Okay, he wrote the American Psycho musical that, that's on Broadway right now. It's pretty. good. I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want to like the idea of American Psycho. Listen musical. to it first. It's a well, lush I'm in, commercialist. I'm in now. It's it's really it's really fascinating. He's take a guy on who I idea. feel like can get the what the book was going for. You know what? It, and it's also so much. It's a really great show for visual. Uh, one a big shout out to my friend uh, Tori, who also works at the Demon Hotel. She not draws. Tori Amos. No, I'm so sorry, Tori Sheehan. She is a um, she is a a, a stage assistant stage manager, stage manager, um, Broadway off Broadway lady, and she works with us on our comic. And she um, she keeps kind of teaching me what I should know about theater at all times. Yeah, that's so, a huge blank spot for me too. Oh no, I mean, I, I my parents when I keep saying my parents loved that I was gay because my dad was like finally someone to go to uh, musicals with <laughs> because my sister was always about going to the Giants games, both of them. So um, well, now it makes sense why she hated the Spice Girls show from Fifty Rows Back. Oh yeah, absolutely. I um, where so, was that? Was that at the the Giant PNC. Stadium? PNC. Okay. Um, so I. Uh, PNC Bank Art Center in Homedale, New Jersey, for those of you not in the local know. But, um, yeah, for real. My parents were super good about uh, letting me go to, to, taking me to musicals. And I've, I've seen like 100 musicals at this point. It's super great. But she, it's one of those things where I love them so much, sometimes I have trouble understanding the art form. Okay. And one of the things is it, uh, he uses visuals really well in it. Um, but to get back to Tonic, that's well, all there is to say about Tonic. Uh, <laughs> It's it's a bland song. I believe the album is um, called Lemon Parade. Lemon Parade is like twelve lemon parties stapled together. It's actually just lemon grab. <laughs> Unacceptable. Um, it's also one of the last times it was okay to have completely unintelligible lyrics. I mean, do not get me wrong. Oh yeah, those verses. Rihanna's masterpiece work. Good God, can I tell you about work? I think that song. I is, thought that song was a joke the first time I heard it. I. I but if you understand that it's her kind of touching back on her dance hall childhood. No, I, I get the, the idea culture, of it. Oh my God, I think it is such brilliant writing. So, I think it is. So, but like. Well, you, I have a story about work that ties into this. So, oh, fucking uh, hit me. We, we are in the tri state area, um, New Jersey. We've had the same big radio morning DJ. Elvis Duran. Since we were. He used to have kids. Um, Elliot. Elliot or something. He went to like DC or something yeah. like that. Um, but that group has been doing pop radio in the mornings since before this Now album. Yeah. Um, he's like a we legend. We grew up. He just on receives these guys. like a radio hall of fame award. And he's a big homo. What's up, guy? Sometimes when I would go into work before I discovered. Um, before you'd go into work, 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 work. <laughs> when I would go into work, 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 work. Oh, she, she sings the hell out of that. She's awesome. Oh, see, I think I'm not she a big Rihanna like she's fan. On morphine. I'm not a big it's Rihanna like fan. It's like Adam Morphine cocktail the song. I don't know that I've heard a more emotionally dedicated performance. Oh, God. I on the verses. Less. Check out the verses, man. The, but, nobody right, touch so, me in the righteous. The way she hits. It, oh, my God, dude. And when she says, please understand, I'm trying, baby. Dude. I think she sings it like she really means... She has to work harder. She has to work three times as hard as any woman in pop music to be taken seriously. Not anymore. Absolutely still. 100% more than ever because that she's not a big songwriter is a well-known fact. That she can't sing live that well is a well-known fact. Really? That I did she, not know that. Um, she's not a great live... Like Taylor band. Swift level bad live or... Yeah, in that category. Ooh, oh I've, no, seen some, that's unfortunate. I've seen some rough video. I don't think she's a, a talentless person, but not everybody's meant to move so, the way she moves so and sing. The first time I heard the song, I was driving into work, Hit and me, I yeah, was listening sorry. to, to El, Elvis and the morning... And the, the Z morning zoo. And they're not a zoo anymore. I think that's like got a negative connotation these days. And the Z morning collective. I feel like zoo shows have become like the, oh, it's Nick, Nico and the douche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that's the kind of thing like zoo shows are now. Uh, you'll always be my crazy Ira. <laughs> So, but uh, so they were like they were hyping up like the new single from Rihanna. Here it is, and then they played work, and then they came back, and he was like, "Well, that was different." <laughs> <laughs> this twenty-five year like pro of radio, and like, 
honestly, like, being a bit of a shill. Um, like, he, he couldn't even defend that. I think that song is just trash. I, I really actually think there's so much artistry to it. I think she's oh. really speaking from a place. I mean, she really does I think have if Drake to... wasn't in that song, it would be just sewage. Like... And I actually, I, I think Drake's part is great. I think it's terrific. I wish I had a version with another verse by her instead. Wow. I really think she gave, I think she gave the performance of a career. I'm not a huge Rihanna fan by any stretch. I don't even really like Found Love in a Hopeless Place. I don't like Draw, I Shut Up and Drive. I don't love Pond the Replay. I think Unfaithful is perhaps the worst song. Don't you speak ill of SOS. I will fight you. Oh, no, SOS is a pretty killer song okay. with a pretty great sample. Well, it's also, just, it's also just the hook from Tainted Love. So, no. were, yeah, hey, Umbrella's but, great. But hey, Tainted Love was just the hook from Where Did Our Love Go? That's so true. it's all full circle. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just, uh, unfortunately, I think we have gotten so far off topic. Um, yeah, well, Tonic sucks. So tonic, that's why. I mean, they, uh, here's see, a funny story. They're from Atlantic Highlands. Oh, they hey, locals. To, they went to Red Bank Catholic, as did my girlfriend. RBC, I teach everybody that goes to RBC. My girlfriend uh, started RBC in 2001, three years after the song, and I just asked her, uh, hey, did they ever cite Tonic as like famous alumni? And she's like, who? So there you go. Yeah. This next one is going to be twice as okay, long. Okay, so here's, all right. Okay, we can we. So you know how Nick and I just had a disagreement. It's okay to like things. It's okay. It's okay to have nostalgia. It is. Uh, this song fucking sucks. Well, okay. I want to start with Chris and I had the same groups of friends growing up. Yeah, we this, were, this is the most tied to the nostalgia aspect of, of this show yeah. for sure. Um, we had, and I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some names if that's cool. Uh, I first don't know, names do you only. Think it's cool. Some just I'm first names less only. Friends with these people than you are, so go nuts. Emily, Lauren, Allison, Issa, Jen, and Jess. You ladies just outed all of the sixth grade and girls that and who ladies loved this band. Th- these were some of our closest friends, and man, they uh, they umbopped themselves to hands and pretty oh, hard. Umbopped, bopped, boo. I, uh, I I I make that joke because it's an obvious joke, and I wish I hadn't made it. Can you edit that out? No. <laughs> Hanson was legitimately. If we said, okay, how do I? If the Backstreet Boys were Trump. And NSYNC was Hillary Clinton. Why don't you just date the whole episode? Hanson was Bernie Sanders riding this white horse through the pop election. Now, you just compared Bernie Sanders to Hanson. You're guaranteed Twitter death threats now. I, I just mean that they were the most unlikely. I think they technically came first. Well, this song is old as shit, too. Yeah. This is, we're in 98. Um, this song is 96 or 95? This song is like, this song is like, the pop version. There's probably two different versions. There's two different versions. They had two independent albums. I yeah. believe they were called, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they were Boomerang and Umbop properly. I'm going to say you know that because of those friends you listed. I just know everything. You, you are a Wikipedia. People call me Nickipedia. That's it, pretty good. It's terrible. Um, this song is a little old because like, pe- like mid-sixth grade was like the time like hating Hanson was cool. Yes. And I didn't like, I knew that that was a thing. I knew I, even then, like I knew I didn't like the song. But people got really... You talked about the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC splitting classes. This was like... It was just so cool to hate Hanson. To hate, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic. Yeah. And I never got it, really. I mean, maybe even at that age, I was, like, a young film hipster. And I was like, I, I, I like Gilbert Grape. I like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, but, like, I didn't like this song. So, But my goal in school at that time was to get through with the least amount of people knowing that I existed. I just shut up and rolled with it. Like... I was never trying to fight anyone about the the, the, the street cred and the validity of Hanson. Like, I, I didn't give a shit then. I, just, I never liked the song. And I've gone back with it for this show with adults willing to, like, reconsider eyes. 
it's still a shit song. I'm sorry, it is. I, 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 I mean, you know, so to kind of give you guys a little bit of knowledge on what Umbop is about, I believe it's about the fleeting nature of life well, and time. There's only been 30 think pieces, because this is, this is how we know it's 90, it's 96, because there was just a bunch of <laughs> BuzzFeed 20th anniversary, hey, Hanson's Umbop isn't what you really think it's about articles. Like, who could possibly give a shit? Well, I, I actually do also think they're, they're not bad songwriters as, 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 as. I'm willing to concede that there's probably good Hanson songs, but I don't know what they I are. I specifically think they're, their their definitive their their second major label release um, this time around uh, has some really great songwriting on it some really classically some really classic rock inspired shit um, so I will defend later Hanson and I will even defend like where's the love and weird and and I will uh, come one to of you. those songs will show up in the future yeah so I, I will be vi- revisiting uh, more Hanson songs so we'll see if my hypothesis is true but this song is just not good this song is just kind of silly baby town frolics yeah it's it is. it's just it's little kids having a good time um, and Ultimately, I I think they were super prepubescent and they were super young and cute and sweet. Well, I think and that was were... one of the big reasons to hate them was less this song and it was more their, what they looked like. Well, there was a big thing like, oh, the Hanson sisters, brr, brr. absolutely. And like, uh, no, you know, and they're good looking guys now because a lot of those articles, like, yeah. they're all married and they're all they all look normal. Like the '90s, everyone looked like shit. Everybody kind of looked like Katie looked like shit. Yeah. Um, the middle, the singer. Taylor does look a lot like Brie Larson. <laughs> a little bit. I see it. Um, here's the thing, though. I mean, you know, he hit puberty at the end of recording the album, essentially. So his voice changed right after recording the album, uh, and then they had to modulate everything for for live performances. They are not good looking people in this band at this time. No, they are. They they, are, they had grown into decent looking people. So it's weird to me. Very smooth androgynous cherubic. And that's why the girl, the sixth grade girls, loved them because they were so unthreatening. Yeah, and I I think which is fine. I kind of feel like there's not more to say on Hanson almost because I think, you know, when you grow up three men who are three of the most hated men in in celebrity culture, that sucks. That has to. I mean, I don't care if you're a bajillionaire. But I was going to say, they're sleeping on piles of money. I mean, piles and piles and piles. Well, let's, let's, let's question that because, you know, Kelly Clarkson made nothing from American Idol. Yeah, that's true. And TLC made nothing from Crazy Sexy Cool. I can't imagine these three young boys from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which that's at one point, point had an enormous gay and Satanist population, were thought very highly of. And they were probably manhandled a bit by their label. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of good to say about Hanson. I feel like there's a lot of bad you could say about Hanson. They rhyme life with strife in the first verse, which I think every uh, songwriter who was at one point 12 did. And yeah. that's just, but we didn't put it in a song that went to every radio station in the world. No, because we weren't lucky enough to be discovered. That's true. We talk about how there's like no Facebook uh, at this age and there was no social networking. But like these kids, just everything was out there. And every how level. much does that every suck? Layer. I mean, can we just agree that this song is kind of like 45 seconds of really good pop stretched to five times longer than it needs to be? I agree. It's about a, it's, it's a four and a half minute song of a hook. And yeah. it's, it's not, you know, it's not a full song. If someone said like, I was 12, I loved Mbop, I'd be like, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. But if someone was like 28, 29 and was like, I just heard Mbop and I love it. I'd be like, oh, you have bad taste. Sorry. Yeah, I, I really get that. Um, I do think it's meant to be universal, but I think there are better ways to get it across than nonsense lyrics. And that's the thing, like, those articles about, like, this is what it's really about. The thing that, like, Crack.com makes its fucking living off of. If I don't like something, and then someone informs me, well, like, did you know that this was really a way you could read it? That doesn't change the fact that I like it or not. Right. It's just like, okay. Good to know. Sure. It's, cracked is actually where I found out that Ace of Base were Nazis. There you go. There you go. Uh, Zoot Suit Riot. Remember when, the, like, this kind I of... I just had this conversation with my husband, Kevin. 
I swear to God. <laughs> I made the joke of him. Do you remember that time that Brian Setzer was responsible? I was going to use the for, word Brian Setzer. Brian Setzer was responsible for making everybody like name. swing twice. Or what's like the, the name so of he the was song? In Stray- what was the song? Well, um, well Stray Cat Strut, yeah. And then when he was, uh, he did Jump Jive and Whale when Jump he was Jive. Brian mm, Setzer yes. Orchestra. I was trying um, to think of that all morning. And now I, I like to bring up my favorite visual interpretation of why this is garbage people doing garbage things. If oh, anybody I fucking hate this song. If anybody's a big fan of uh, Sex in the City, and if you're gay, you are. Um, <laughs> if you're a big fan of Sex in the City, there's an episode where Carrie is dating a guy who I think actually just has like adult ADHD, but one of the things is he wears pork pie hats and he plays bass in a jazz band. Oh, no. And I mean, she, I mean, it's, it's an episode that really does a, a loving send up of the, the short period of time where everybody owned a zoot suit. Well, all right, so. I feel like this song happened because the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones got big for a second and people didn't know the difference between Big Band and Ska. I really think it was Brian Setzer. I think it was Brian Setzer Did giving... Did Brian Setzer give the Ska and they didn't know the difference between Ska and Brian Setzer? Brian Setzer gave us... Well, because he had done Rock This Town. Well, sure, but that's old as hell. Comparatively. Well, but so it was already in the cultural vernacular. So then people who were... But Ska got really big for a hot second. But not until well after this, I don't feel. Oh, no. Really? No, no doubt's first songs were Ska. But no doubt's first songs were Ska, but no doubt's first songs were in, a, were in a vacuum. Mighty Mighty Boston. No, they weren't, because you had the impression that I get. You but had that was cover. No, you had Say Ferris's cover of Come On Eileen. That stuff was getting radio play. I don't think... Was Say Ferris's cover of Come On Eileen when we were in seventh grade? I think so. I wish we could... I don't know. I kind of think... Boston's definitely were because three episodes from now will be when I discovered music on my own. And the first albums I bought with my own money mm-hmm. uh, were Blink-182's Dude Ranch. Okay. Um, something by The Living End. They're not good. Don't... And, uh, and the Mighty Mighty Boston's album with the impression that I had. I remember getting Mighty Mighty Boston's and Jamiroquai at the same time. Mm. Hey, no. Virtual Insanity is an incredibly... That song could be by Stevie Wonder. That thing is so freaking complicated. <laughs> It's a really amazing piece that song of songwriting. Well, what songs wouldn't be 10,000 times better if it was by Stevie Wonder? But you're right, that could be a Stevie Wonder song. Oh, look at the sheet music for it. I mean, like, if you really analyze the, uh, the incredible... I wasn't saying Woof because of that song. I was saying Woof mostly because of his hats. Oh, yeah, the hats are pretty bad. Uh, the, the Seuss hats. But no, anyway, I, how much does Zootsy Riot suck? I, you know what? I think there's a million better songs. I think Squirrel Nut Zipper's Hell would have been a better inclusion. Sure. I think, that's... I think the impression that I get would have been a better inclusion. But I, I'm, I'm not sure... I, I really thought it came out around the same time Mariah Carey's Honey did. No, no. Uh, by this time, let's face it, by the Boss Tones is out. Damn. I'm almost positive. Because it's not long well, after this that I pick it up, and I don't pick it up new. They're nobody when they're in Clueless, and they do... Yeah, because that song's in Clueless, man. But that's like 94, 95, but that was, they were nobodies, and it was a totally different song that was three albums earlier. Oh, yeah, see... Because it's... The place, and the name of the place escapes me. Rip, 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 and then he dumps, jumps off the stage at the end of the song. That's not the impression that I get. No, but that's what I'm saying. That was what was in the in Clueless in '95. Oh, okay. Okay. So I think I think I don't remember honestly really well, but I'm pretty sure. Um, this is the time that like liking Real Big Fish will like not get you to be like what. I thought that was like a little bit closer to. Yeah, no, that's this. That's, this is like the sellout album. I totally believe you because you do know Scott a million times better than yeah, I do. I, I mean, I was into Scott. Um, My mom I, was super into to. I never swing had like a, a checker bag belt, a checkerboard belt, or anything like that. But I, uh, I definitely went to some. I mean, we were in Jersey. I went to some Catch Twenty Two shows. You didn't. I have went choice. to some Less Than Jake shows for sure. I'm not big into Streetlight, and I've seen Streetlight a couple times. Yeah, how could you not? You can't so, avoid that shit. Um, um, you know, Zoot Suit Riot. There's is, a cultural aspect of this song that I fucking think is disgusting. The Zoot Suit Riots were a real thing. Oh. Okay, so. Learn me. California, um, in like the late 40s, um, Mexicans were largely wearing the zoot suit. And 
there was a day where um, a bunch of sailors went through, uh, I forget which town in California, um, and just started beating the Mexicans because they thought that they were being, by wearing these baggy suits, these zoot suits, they were being disrespectful and unpatriotic. And also there was this undertone that they were probably fucking the white women. Um, and so they went and they pulled them out of bars and streetcars and beat them and pissed on them. A bunch of sailors. Okay. So, um, I used to think I had a problem with Hey Soul Sister by Train for the appropriating use of Hey Soul Sister because obviously a lyric like that is a little bit like, hey, I'm into black chicks. And I think that's a little, I think that's a little awkward as a song. That's way worse. That alarm is the, uh, the Wikipedia citation needed. If you could read the entry on Zoot Suit Riot, sir. I will gladly. Lyrically, the song's narrative revolves around the Los Angeles Zoot Suit Riots of the 1940s, though Perry has stated the song makes no overt political or social commentary regarding the events. In a 2009 interview, I have a hard time believing they were interviewed in 2009. In a 2009 interview, he elaborated on... still exists for some reason. Because they gotta keep selling sneakers. Uh, In a 2009 interview, he elaborated on its significance, saying, I guess it seemed like a... I... Pachuco? I think that's the, the, the group of the Mexicans that were wearing okay. the suits at the time. Uh, it seemed Keep like in a... mind this band's from Portland fucking Oregon. Or some... If no, you need Eugene to understand... Oregon, maybe. I'm sorry, Portlandia. I'm about to say, no, Portlandia is the best thing about Portland. Um, uh, I guess it seemed like a Pachuco rallying cry that could double as a dance anthem for those of us interested in swing music and culture at a time when no one else was. It was an expression of proud marginalism. That's not deep, but there you go. Is he... I'm... This guy's name is Steve Perry. I didn't think there could be a worse Steve Perry in music, but here you go. Did he just say being into swing music is the equivalent of the plight of beaten and pissed on Mexicans? Yep. Fuck this guy. Fuck this song. This song appropriates the idea of a bunch of minorities getting beaten for the clothes they were wearing to throw back a bottle of beer, pull a comb through your hair. Fuck you. It's like that fucking, it's like that meme going around that says, uh, being into lumberjack style is appropriation of the hardworking life of the lumberjack. And I'm like, seriously, go cry at your men's rights rally. This, taking this and like a a (laughs) terrible thing that happened and turning it into a song about nothing. That is, that is, that is utterly insane. I, um, you know, I, that is, you know, this went from a bad song to a bad song that I take issue with. It's called the Ferguson dance. Like, you know, you can't do that. And And that's what this basically is doing. And unfortunately, what's even worse is in a lot of ways, it's relying on the fact that that is a culturally misunderstood term. It's using the fact that you don't, if it was him trying to bring, you know, awareness. But it's nothing. It's nothing. It's banal nonsense. Wow. Like the song less now. Fuck that guy. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks again to Nico. Uh, We'll be back with him next week. We'll have Barbie Girl. We'll have some R&B. We'll have Radiohead. Uh, We'll talk about some noteworthy songs from that time that weren't on now. And we'll get some freshman English class reads on these tracks from around the web. If you like the show, there's a couple of things you can do. You can head on over to cageclub.me to check out the rest of the Cage Club network. You can follow me on Twitter for updates and news. Eventually the show will get its own Twitter, but until then, it's Molly underscore Ringworm. That's Worm with a U. And we would really love to hear from you. If you have your own stories, memories, hot takes on these songs, and you can tell us how wrong we were about something, write into the mailbag at nowandagaincast at gmail.com. We'd love to read some of your opinions on the air. You know, start a little discussion with the people who are listening to this. Everyone has memories of these songs, so please feel free to write in. 
And until next week, I'm Chris Mattiello. Keep bopping your way through life. <laughs> <laughs>